John chapter 15. We're going to be looking at verse 3. I'm going to talk to you about the cleansing power of the Word of God. Jesus said these words. He said, Now are ye clean through the Word which I have spoken unto you. Now that's profound. That is mind-boggling. We're going to study that this morning. Jesus is speaking to His disciples. John 15 and verse 3. John 15. See with your own eyes, Jesus uh, says, Now are ye clean. I mean, that's, that's a done deal. You're clean now through the word which I have spoken unto you. So they didn't realize it, but as Jesus was teaching them, as they listened to him, as he taught them and as they understood, and then they responded, committed to believing and doing it, as Jesus spoke to them, he said, guess what? You're clean now. And that speaks to us. Because now I, I was speaking to somebody uh, um, who actually it was uh, Leighton Kelly um, when they had COVID up at the men's home, he had to hire a company to come in and clean out the house, the, the house, the big house that they uh, um, have where all the, the men are for the recovery. And um, they, there were two different kinds of cleansing of that house from COVID. One was 3,500 euros to clean the house. All right. Woo, that's a lot of money. The second one was 15,000 euros to clean the house after a COVID event like that so that they could be in there. Wow. We're in the wrong business, folks. The, the, the cleaners are cleaning up is what they're doing, okay? But, you know, the truth is this. I, just, I, I wanted you to understand that there are two levels of cleaning. They actually said that one's a deep clean, all right? I, okay, fair dues, 15,000. Man, you could buy a car for that, all right? Anyway, there are two levels of cleaning explained in the Bible. And you probably know about it. The first one, you hope you know, is, called, is, is based on the blood of Christ. The, uh, the blood of Christ saves us. It clears our sin record. I want you to understand what it does. The blood of Jesus Christ comes between us and our record in God. So when he looks at me, he can't see my sin record. I'm still a sinner. But the blood has blotted it out from his vision. It is like when you squirt out ink on a paper or you stain a paper. You can't read what's written on the page. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from sin by blotting out our sin, by pardoning his, the payment. So much happened at the cross that it's just mind-boggling. But I want you to understand, the blood of Jesus Christ is a once-off event. If you trusted what he did on the cross, it paid for your sin. But there's a second level. And the second level is the cleansing by the word of God. The blood saves us. The word sanctifies us. And that's very important because sanctification, after you're saved, that's our focus. I don't worry about my salvation anymore. I don't worry whether I'm good enough, whether I'm living up to expectations. But there are expectations in my sanctification. And I'll talk about that in just a few moments here. You see, the word of God can cleanse the stain of my sin, the stench of it. He can, uh, the word of God can actually uh, wash away bad thoughts. The cultural dirt, all you have to do is hang around other people at work or even at home, and you just feel dirty. How do you get that clean? All right. Well, as I said, the cleansing power of the sacrifice of the Son of God in our place is the greatest work of God, greater than the creation of the universe. And that's a pretty awesome job he did. You look up at the sky, you see the colors of the stars, you find out with telescopes just how deep 
and how rich and how beautiful creation is. But far greater than what God did in creating was what God did in saving. Go to Revelation chapter 1. You can leave John for a minute. I've got to emphasize this because too many people think that salvation is a ho-hum deal. Oh, all you have to do is be baptized, and that's what saves you. All you have to do is join a church, and that'll get you in. All you have to do is say a few prayers, and that'll do you just. That is not true. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 5 says this. This book came from Jesus. Look what it says. Talking about the book of Revelation. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, John, uh, Revelation 1.5, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us, past tense, he finished it, washed us from our sins in his own blood. That's a powerful verse telling you your sins are washed away by the blood. Go to Ephesians. Go back to the left. Find Ephesians chapter 1. And you won't find something in the new Bibles. It's been deleted. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7. Ephesians 1 and verse 7. Speaking of Jesus, in him, in whom we have redemption. And these next three, four words, uh, actually three words, are missing in almost all the new Bibles. In whom we have redemption through his blood. Do you notice that? The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. We just sang about grace. But you know what we love to sing about also? His blood. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Think about it. We have redemption through his blood. I wonder about these new Bibles that want to remove the blood because they don't want you to trust that it was the blood that can save. They want you to think it's you that are a part of your salvation. Go to 1 John, all the way back. We were just at Revelation. But just before Revelation, a little book called 1 John, chapter 1 and verse 7. 1 John 1 and verse 7. But if we walk in the light, the light of the gospel, the light of the word of God, the light that God has taught us the truth here, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with him, one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from some sin. Doesn't say that. I love the word all in the Bible. It's a little three-letter word. It doesn't take a lot of intelligence to know what it means. Cleanses us from all sin. Now, here comes the, here comes the smart eye who says, well, I don't sin, really. The Bible says if we say that we have no sin, we're deceiving who? We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us at all, verse 9. But if we confess our sin, we agree with God that, you know, I am a mess. He, when we confess, he is faithful and just, not to a priest, but to God, by the way. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from, there's our little three-letter word again, all unrighteousness. Uh, again, I'll ask you, what can wash away your sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. But Christians still get, and I'm going to use a word, dirty. I'm going to talk about dirty on the inside. Um, uh, we, we get dirty. Not to the point where we lose our salvation, but when we sin after we've gotten saved, we end up losing some things. We lose our joy. We lose our confidence. We lose our clear conscience, our liberties, and our closeness to God that Jesus gave us when we got born again. Now, we all wished that we stopped sinning the day we got saved. I did. I really believed, and I looked forward to the fact that I was going to 
not even sin anymore after I got saved. Nobody told me I wasn't going to sin, but that's what I hoped would happen. I hoped that I would be completely a different person. I wouldn't sin like I had before. I wouldn't think like I had before. Well, that's not quite true. There were changes, okay? But I was not perfect. Um, uh, it doesn't take place till we get to heaven when we finally are able to not ever sin again, and that'll be the day. Until that time, you're going to battle against the old nature that still loves sin. Have you ever noticed it? I mean, sometimes you, 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 your old part of you just loves to go back to that old way of thinking, that old way of, of, of doing. Uh, I know plenty of people who they still, they still have that taste of that drink in their mouth. They still wish they could go back and drink. That's the old man. You say, well, am I saved? Of course you're saved. If you believe Jesus Christ died and was buried and rose again for your sin, and you crawl on him to, to save you, you're in. But that old man just loves sin. So every time from that moment that we got saved, every time that sin raises its ugly head and temptation tries to pull you uh, uh, down and you participate, you get dirty. You get defiled on the inside. We say you get soiled. <clears throat> You know, you see something on television or on media that is dirty, sinful, and against, against nature. I mean, half the things that they're showing on television right now are against nature. They're not even natural. It's all CGI, stuff that doesn't, doesn't even take place. And all of the bedroom scenes are just unnatural, folks. Filthy words being said, animal acts, and things that are an abomination to God. I mean, that affects a Christian. If it doesn't affect you, then I guarantee you, you're not saved. When you say something that was wrong to say and, and you only hurt someone else, it defiled you as well. When you did something that was against Christ's commands, you sinned and it soiled you. Everything we do has consequences. So when we get dirty, the, the truth is we don't get sinful all the way through. Before we got saved, our soul was dark with sin. Our soul was without God, without hope. It was lost. The Bible word is, or at least the theological word is depraved. But the moment a sinner calls upon Christ to forgive them, he doesn't forgive them of some or a few sins. He forgives all. That's why I got saved. I didn't want, to, I didn't want help. I wanted a savior. Uh, but we're not cleansed. Uh, we, we've been forgiven all our sins, but we're not cleansed from day-to-day -day sinning. I mean, when you work out in the garden or you're working on the car, your hands get dirty, okay? And what do you do, all right? Now, some of us guys, we just go make a sandwich. We don't care, all right? That's just what it means to be a guy. But our hands get dirty, and they just need to be washed. Now, go to, go to the Gospel of John. And when Jesus spoke of the power of the Word of God to wash you, he didn't talk about getting your hands dirty. He talked about something we never, we never even think about. Now, some of you ladies might think about it, but guys don't think about washing their feet. We don't. But Jesus said, I want to teach you about washing feet. John chapter 13. John chapter 13. Uh, it, it is obvious dirty hands need to be washed. That's what happens when you're doing normal work, okay? Um, and and it, it, getting your hands dirty... It's not the end of your life, okay? That's not the ruin of your life any more than getting soiled day-to-day -day culture, 
media, things making you feel dirty. Look at John chapter 13 and verse 8. Then Peter said unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet, because Jesus has just put on a towel around his waist, kneeled down with a basin and, a and, his, and, a, and his towel, and he beginning to wash Jesus, uh, uh, Peter's feet. And Peter stops and says, Don't wash my feet. You'll never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Wow. If you don't want this part, then you have no part with me. Verse 9, Simon Peter, now I like Simon because Simon's an extremist, okay? Peter uh, hears Jesus say, if you don't let me do this, then you will have no part of it. Peter says, then wash me head to toe. I love it. Peter, uh, verse 9, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Just, I need to be completely washed if that's what, you, if, if that's what it takes for me to be close to you. Verse 10, Jesus said to him, he that is washed. Peter, you're already washed. You needeth not to wash again, save to wash his feet. But it's clean every whit, and ye are clean, but not all. So he's speaking, and he talks about talking about uh, I, um, Judas, and Judas is not even with them. He's not clean at all. But the disciples were already washed. The blood of Jesus Christ is going to be shed just a few days later has already atoned from them, even though it hasn't even happened. You're clean, Jesus says, but not your feet. You got dirty walking around here in the, um, uh, let me just get, I just had a thing. Walking around next to the, the Last Supper there, you're, you're, you're preparing the dinner and the Passover lamb and all of this stuff. You kept your hands clean. Uh, uh, you washed before coming today, but your feet got dirty and I'm going to wash your feet. I'm teaching you, you need cleansing, but not salvation again. And, and the truth is this. When Jesus stepped down there and washed Peter's feet, he was washing what we don't think needs to be washed. And that's important. And please remember this from now on. Remember, there are areas of your life, maybe you haven't confessed your tongue lately. Maybe you haven't confessed with your eyes to God or, or watch. The things that we don't normally seek to be clean need to be constantly washed. Seem to be constant. When I, I remember... Uh, some friends of mine, when I was about six or seven, maybe eight years old, wasn't very, wasn't very smart, and I wasn't very old. Well, my friends had a spelling bee in our garage, and so we all sat up there and asked each other to start spelling some new words we learned at school. Okay, my mom heard it, shooed all the friends away from the neighborhood, pulled me in, and washed my mouth out with soap. I'll never forget it. It was good for me, but Jesus is by washing those feet. He's trying to say. There's a part of you that gets dirty, and whatever gets dirty, make sure you wash it. And, and how do you wash it, okay? How are you going to wash away sinful thoughts and bad attitudes and lustful desires and wicked imaginations, times of backsliding, and times of pride and bad habits and selfishness? How does anybody wash that away? Do I need to get saved again? If I backslid, do I need to get born again again? No. Jesus said, you're clean through the word now. You see, it's it, the washing away of a Christian's daily sin is by the word of God. The Holy Spirit uses the scriptures to scrub the heart of the mind and the mind of a believer from sin. It cleans up our way. Cleans up our old way of thinking. As you read this book, it's straightening us out and cleaning, cleaning us up. So that's why we read John 15 and verse 3. Now are you clean through the word? So I want to talk to you. If you'll go back to Psalm 119, 
Psalm 119. <clears throat> I'm going to talk to you about the promised power of God's word. I could talk all day about the power of the blood. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. But there's power, as I've demonstrated these past few weeks, in the word of God as well. And we neglect the, power, the cleansing power of the word of God. Psalm 119 in verse 9. Psalm 119 in verse 9. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? Here's the answer. By taking heed thereto according to thy word. All right, now we've already read that. We've thought about it. Look at verse 11. Thy word have I hid in my heart. I stored it away. I've put it in a proper place in my heart so I can always grab it. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin. Notice that. God's word helps me so I don't sin. God helps me when I, God's word helps me when I do sin. I hide it away to cleanse my way. So the promised power of God's word. Now, wouldn't you agree that man's words have power? <clears throat> I showed you this verse. I hope you never forget it. Go to Proverbs, go to the right, <clears throat> find Proverbs chapter 18. Proverbs 18, 21, sorry. Proverbs 18, 21. You know, words have force, they have power, they have energy. Proverbs 18, 21, death and life are in the power, not just the Taoiseach or the president or the, or the judge, but of the, uh, of the friend or of the enemy. Words, uh, it says death and life are in the power of the tongue and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. You love what you say and how you say it. If you do it right, you'll enjoy the fruits of it. Uh, you encourage people, you get people to work with you. You discourage them, you tear them down, and nobody wants to work with you. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Uh, what you say can encourage them or can destroy them. So choose your words wisely. James chapter uh, one says, be swift, quick to hear, slow to wrath, slow to speak. Because what you say usually does more damage than help. Our words can be like a big hug, can actually make somebody want to go 100 miles, but they can also be like a knife. You ever notice how somebody could just say something and it just, and they may not even mean it, but it's like a dagger. Now, uh, but man's words only have man's power. Here's the great truth. God's words have God's power. You see the difference? What I say could make somebody's day. What I could say could ruin their day. But what if we took God's words serious enough and let it, and it affect us? Uh, Hebrews 11.3, go to the right. Find Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 3. Hebrews 11.3. Through faith, we understand that the world's Jupiter Mars, where they somebody once said just this past week said, you know what? The only planet inhabited by robots is Mars. <laughs> and it is it's got five roving robots over there. Anyway, we believe that the worlds were framed, built by the word of God. Mars was built by God's word. God spoke them into existence. Jupiter, Saturn, all the beautiful uh, celestial bodies there. Uh, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. 
The things we have weren't made by things that were before them. They came out of nothing. So uh, I showed you for the past few weeks what this book can do in the life of believers. Now, I guarantee you, half the people thought it was boring. But this book, thank God it's boring because it doesn't have to just glitter and shine and, and, and blink at you. It stabilizes you. It matures you. It makes you so that you're not moving constantly up and down like a yo-yo. What it does is breathtaking, and we need it. We don't need any more yo-yos. We got too many, you know, uh, people who just, just fly up, and they're super for a while, and then they're at the bottom. Uh, what if we actually started letting the Bible speak to us like we used to let people speak to us? Too many of us let people bring us down. And we need people to bring us up. What if we let God's word do it? You see, these words that you hold in your hand are four things I'm going to talk about this morning. They are purifying. They are prescriptive. They pack a punch. And they're profitable. They benefit you. First thing I'm going to show you is that they are purifying. Go to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse, you see that word, cleanse, wash his way, clean up his way. Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, sacrificed himself for us. That he might, why did he do that? that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. Now, think about that. As the word is read and believed and obeyed, you know what's happening? It's washing you like water. Water doesn't clean your soul. Any baptism doesn't. Ceremonies don't wash your soul. The word works like water. It purifies. Verse 27, notice the result. As he washes, like when you wash your T-shirt or your socks, okay? He washes us with the word. We're, talking, we're already saved. We've been washed in the blood, but now on a daily basis, he's washing us by the water, by the word, in verse 27, that he might present the church, the believer, to himself a glorious, a beautiful church, not having spot. What's a spot? That's dirt. That's stuff that just, you're walking on the way and, uh, uh, you know, uh, it's, it's raining and you're under the umbrella and then a car passes by and sloshes all that water from the side of the road onto you. You're covered. Well, you're just walking, minding your own business and somebody starts saying something to you, tearing you down, destroying your attitude and, and, and saying filthy things, telling filthy jokes. You try to walk away from it, still going on inside of your head. You want to get that spot removed? The word does it. Look, that he might... Uh, remove spots and wrinkles or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish through the word. Uh, I'll just quote it for you. Psalm 119, sorry, 119 verse 140 says, Thy word is very pure, therefore thy servant loveth it. God's word is like the purest water. John 17, 17, Jesus praying, sanctify them through thy truth, cleanse them by thy, thy word is truth. So uh, uh, purifying words, they, they, they scrub, they cut, they cleanse, and they heal as you read, ponder, and believe them. Um, I had the unfortunate 
responsibility to go and visit somebody uh, back when I was in the States. Um, years and years ago, before I came to Ireland, a guy uh, that I knew had uh, right on his motorbike uh, going around a, a big turn and going at speed. I don't know how fast he was going, but it was too fast. Anyway, a car jerked to go around somebody walking on the road and came into his lane and he to decide whether to hit the car let, uh, straight on or to lay the bike down. So he laid the bike down and he skidded for about a hundred feet on that tarmac and he didn't have leather on. It was too hot a day. So that tarmac and all that grit was in his arm and in his leg, he had his helmet on. And when, when I went to go see him, they were picking out all that tarmac out of his skin. He was on a lot of morphine that day and they were trying to, what were they doing? Why didn't they just leave it in there? Cause it would kill him. They were, and they, I tell you what, that whole day they were work, working, pulling stuff out of his skin. Out of, he had to get skin grafts for, I don't know, at least one more operation. All that was to clean him up because if they just left it in there, it would have slowly, gangrene would have stepped in, uh, infection, he would have died. And the truth is this, we need to let this, and I'll preach this in just a few minutes, but this book hurt sometimes and he was screaming this book cut sometimes and they were having to open up because stuff had gotten in underneath the skin they were having to pull back i don't want to describe it to you but the truth is you need to visualize that this book has to do what it has to do to clean you up that's what it does as you, you say oh, i don't like what i'm reading amen he didn't like what those nurses were doing that day but it was necessary it purifies. It heals. You're not going to heal unless you get it all open. You let that pus come out. You let all that grime be washed out. And they were using iodine and all this other stuff inside so that he'd live. You know, whatever God has to do, do not just read your Bible is my emphasis this morning. Let it cut. Let it hurt. And let it heal. How does it do that? How does it heal somebody? because it emphasizes not on psychology. It doesn't emphasize on psychosomatic analysis. You know what it does? It lifts up Jesus Christ. Every time you read in this Bible and you see somebody's failure, there's always a lamb. There's always a pointing to a Messiah, to a savior. You see, the answer is Jesus. The answer when you read this Bible is, is, is in the person of the promise of God, which is Jesus Christ. The more you learn about Jesus, the more healing there is. You want to learn about David? You'll get depressed. You want to watch Mo, uh, Noah go out there and get drunk? You'll get depressed. You want to watch Lot and his family fall apart? You'll get depressed. But when you see the point, you see the focus going to a Savior who could fix all that, and he did. He's the answer. Every page of your Bible is a picture of God's Son, Jesus Christ. So as you read the Bible, it's truth. It just speaks healing because it's true. It's real. It's right. And it washes away fears and every failure you ever commit or ever will commit. Like a flood will wash away a dam. I watched there uh, over in India, uh, there was a dam that gave way. And I mean, what a disaster. Wiped away a town at the bottom of that thing. And um, uh, they had to call in all of these huge um, uh JCBs and stuff, looking for people there. That water built up, built up, built up with all the rains that they were going through and broke the dam. 
and the devil put some obstacle in your life, some memory inside your head, put some failure in your life, and you'll think you're finished. If you read this Bible, you'll read about David. You'll read about Moses. Every one of them thought they were finished. And you watch the joy come back into your life and realize, I'm not finished. God uses broken people. And you watch that encouragement break the dam. That's the book. Secondly, this Bible is prescriptive. That's a fancy word. But I, I, it was a word started with P, so I thought it was a pretty good word I'd use, okay? But when I say prescriptive, prescription means to speak a course of action to be followed by the hearer. Um, it, it, it basically is a rule that somebody lays down to direct you or dictates what someone must do, like a doctor telling a sick patient what they got to do. You know, a doctor is not supposed to just sit there and listen to your problems. That's a psychiatrist, okay? <laughs> a doctor is supposed to have an answer, a prescription. It's supposed to be a command. This is what you need to do. Now, no doctor is able to give commands anymore because everybody sues them. But a prescription is a command. This, if you want to live, if you want to stop, if you want to stop dying, stop smoking. He'll say, "Put the put the put the drink down." Uh, sometimes they give you a prescription there and says, "Take these pills over the next ten days. Take these antibiotics." That's not a suggestion, folks. A prescription. Look at it. It is a course of action to be followed to do it, and that's the book. That's the Bible. Um, it is, but here's the truth. A prescription is no good if it's not obeyed. So here the doctor says you need to, you need to take off work. You need to sit, sit home for the next three days and just rest. You need to take these antibiotics for the next 10 days, not three days, but 10. And uh, too many people will take it for four or five days. They'll feel better and they'll stop. And then a week later, they're sick again. And they'll say, just take the 10 days. It's a prescription. It's an order. And when we come to the Bible, we're, we're, we're coming to God's prescription for our life. It's our pattern. If you notice how much of the Bible is about people, it's a pattern to live. It's patterns not to follow, too. But this book is God's manual for life. I've read too many times people say, well, you know, we, had, we got this baby, but he didn't come with a manual. You know, that's a lie because God did give you a manual. Uh, this is the instruction book for absolutely everything that's important. And it works for everyone in the world, no matter where they live, no matter what time they live. It's a manual. This is God's manual on child training. Handling every problem child, okay? And there's plenty of them. You ought to read about Esau and Jacob. You ought to read about problem children in the Bible. You'll learn a lot. It's the manual for how to communicate respect and love in marriage. It's a manual on how to handle depression and discouragement, sorrow and loss, and every one of us deal with that. It tells you how to manage stress and troubles. It tells you how to run a business. It tells you how to handle money. It tells us how to worship and pray and to trust God and enjoy God. I have noted that there are millions of books that have been written trying to say what God has already written. You notice that? Millions of books that people have written trying to say what God has already written. It's not that you shouldn't read those books. Sometimes you'll pick up what you didn't read in the Bible. You'll pick up and go, oh, and then you find it was already in the Bible. It's not bad to read books about marriage and about childhood. Just don't forget to read the book, okay? And I, by the way, make sure 
the book you're reading matches the book you're supposed to be reading. And by the way, that's why God ordained that men preach this book. I'm supposed to tell people how to live. Uh, I'm supposed to reason with people from God's viewpoint on life. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Go to the right, 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2. Second Timothy 4 and verse 2. Paul is talking to young Timothy and he says this. Preach the word. He doesn't just say preach about Jesus. No, I got to also preach about David. I got to preach about Moses. I got to preach about Adam and Eve. I got to preach the whole book. You know, a lot of people, well, I, I like Jesus. I like the, the Beatitudes. Well, you better learn to like every page. Preach the word. Be instant ready in season when people like it and out of season when it's no 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 not now pastor <laughs> i got stuff on television i got i got a sport event i got to get to no be instant in season out of season reprove rebuke exhort with all long suffering and doctrine be patient while you're teaching verse 3 for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine just stop there for a second there just realize um uh it is my job to tell you what God says because I know it'll clean your life because I know it'll help you. I don't know what it'll do. There are people who are watching. I have no idea your background. People come to church. I have no idea what you've been through during the week. But as I've opened up this book and I try not to just give you one scripture, I don't try to give you just two or three. I try to give you enough so that one of them will be like a cleansing help. Some of them it'll be like a kick, okay? But some of them will be cleansing and helpful. And encouraging. So, um, uh, 1 Corinthians, right left, find 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Too many people think that what I do it does, is not important. This is the most essential business in Ireland. What I'm doing right now, because you have no hope without this book being preached. Ireland has no hope. The more churches that are shut down and shut up and quieted down, the darker this country gets and the more the Antichrist takes over. And the spirit of the Antichrist is already at work. And I want to put up a fight. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 in verse 17. Christ, Paul says, Christ sent me not to baptize. If baptism is important, why isn't everybody out baptizing? I'd be an idiot. Anybody believes that is an idiot. Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. The good news, not with wisdom of words. I don't want to sound nice. I was watching several YouTube's, YouTube messages this week, and I just came away wanting to be sick. Because they'll make you feel good like you're at the fun fair eating cotton candy. Not one rude word, not one thing that'll upset anybody. And they're up there with their tight jeans, and they're up there with their dark backgrounds, and, and they're, put, they're putting on a show, and they've got uh, 500 people watching them. And it's a performance, and I don't compete. I don't even try. I'm supposed to preach the word, and it goes on, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ, that's where the help is, should be made of none effect for the preaching of the cross. Preaching, telling the story of the cross is to them that perish, it's always foolishness. I can't, I can't fix their attitude. I just preach it anyway. But us which are saved, we know it is the power of God. It goes on later on, next verse, unto salvation is by preaching that God has chosen to save them that believe. So it is prescriptive. 
I have the responsibility to tell you what you're supposed to do to, to get saved and how to get right with God because it comes from the Bible. It's my job. You know, I get, uh, I do what some people get paid 100 euros an hour to do. Now, if you want to, you can ignore me, and in a few years, you'll be sitting in a counselor's chair there, be paying somebody 100 euros an hour to help you, and I, I helped you every single week, and you didn't listen. And if you're saved and we go to heaven, the Lord's going to ask me, Craig, did you faithfully preach my word? And I'm going to say, Lord, I failed and I failed, but I, I tried my best. And the Lord said, good man. Now you, did you listen? That's the next question. And you're going to have to say, no, I was too busy playing a stupid game on my phone. I was too busy playing sports. I was too busy. I didn't think it was important. And the Lord's going to ask you, therefore, you ended up in counseling for 15 weeks. Therefore, you ended up in a divorce. Therefore, you ended up losing everything of, of your joy. Your Don't throw away what God gives you for free. Joshua 23, 6, I'll just quote it. Be therefore very courageous to keep, to obey, and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, that you turn not aside to the right hand or the left, be very courageous just to do it. Because, you know, when you're not feeling well, you don't know how to get better. So you get a prescription. And you take the prescription, and the prescription makes you better. Helps it so that your body recovers. And that's what doing the Word of God does. By taking heed to this book, cleans up your life, fixes your head and your heart and your hands. Third, they're also punching words. How could a punch be good? Well, I'll tell you here, all right? Go to Jeremiah 23. Jeremiah chapter 23. Could have used piercing words, and they are, but I like punching words better <laughs> for the moment. Jeremiah chapter 23 and verse 29. So I want you to remember these things. Jeremiah 23, 29. Is not my word... Like a fire, it hurts, saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces. You know, instead of using, here's, here's the truth, instead of using your words to destroy another human being, don't you use the word of God against temptation, against satanic attacks, and against wrong thinking? Why don't you use the word of God like a hammer, not to hurt people, but to break hardness in your own heart, to break the devil's grip on your life. Uh, I watched one time, uh, uh, actually, I didn't watch, I read uh, one time about uh, a father going with this child, and they were walking along, and a dog came out of nowhere and took on, grabbed and was barking and rapidly took, on, uh, took a bite into his child's, I don't know if it was a girl or a boy, uh, arm there and wouldn't let go. You know what that dad did? He he tried to beat that dog, was not going to let go. He grabbed, I'm sorry to have to describe this for you, but when your child is being bitten by a dog, he grabbed a large stick and beat that dog because he's trying to save his daughter. There are times when the devil's coming at you, you got to have something big enough to hit him with. And what is that going to be? It's not going to be your anger. It's not going to be your attitude. It's going to be the word of God that hurts him. You need to pack a punch when he's coming at you and he's pulling you back down the same way you used to go always in the past. You need to have something that will knock him on his butt. If it'll come up, 
Use the Word of God. What did Jesus do when after 40 days of not eating, 40 days in the wilderness waiting, it wasn't during that time the devil tempted him. It was after 40 days when he's at his weakest, when he has no physical strength, and the devil comes up and says, prove that you're the Son of God. Show me you can do this. You know you're hungry. Temptation stirred it up inside of him. And what did Jesus say? It is written. And it hurt the devil. The devil came along from another side, and the devil won't give up too easily. So you're going to have to have lots of scripture, not just one. He came around and he says, well, why don't you show off? Why don't you prove everybody you are the son of God? Jump off the, the, the temple there. He goes, takes another place. He says, uh, uh, listen, I'll give you everything if you'll just bow down and worship me right here and right now. Why don't you just do that? Nobody's watching, just you and me. And Jesus each time said, it is written. And the next word, one of the most precious, and the devil left him for a while. It put him out of the ring. You know, I've never seen it, but it would be nice to watch somebody hit so hard in a boxing ring, the guy flies out. <laughs> That'd be fun to watch, and I watch that. But you know, when you get this word memorized and thought about and ready to go, when the devil tempts you with a proper scripture, you can use it like a punch. Um. Ephesians 6, 17 says this, take the helmet of salvation, that's our defense, and the sword of the spirit, which is our offense, our weapon, which is the word of God. Use it like a sword. Use it here like a hammer. Use it like a flamethrower. I don't know what you, whatever you want to imagine, this book can do it. So the, the words of God are the way to defeat our enemy's attacks and his trickery against our minds. Go to Jer uh, sorry, Psalm 17. Psalm 17. Psalm 17, verse 4. Got to circle this verse or start or whatever. Concerning the works of men, when you think about all the things people do, watch what he says. By the word of thy lips, he's talking about God. Your word. I have kept me from the paths of the destroyer. Your book kept me out of trouble. Amen. It's kept me out of Satan's traps, the destroyer. You know, God's words, when you obey them, will keep you out of the path of Satan. And he's got a path for you to walk. <laughs> you ever find people, you know God's called them to preach, and there they are going off into the entertainment industry. You always wonder about that. You say, that's the devil leading them down a path to riches and fame. They'll be sorry for the rest of their life. You read this book, you believe this book, you obey this book, it'll keep you from being deceived. It'll keep you free from bondage of your past and all your temptation. Go to Psalm 119, verse 45. Psalm 119, verse 45. Again, another keeper. And I will walk at liberty. I'll be free. I'll walk free. Why? Because I keep, I seek, sorry, thy liberty. I seek, sorry, I seek thy precepts. I was trying to find another page from my memory there. For I seek thy precepts. I seek your principles, your words. So this book, if I seek to live by it, it'll make me free. It'll keep me at liberty if I do the book. He says, if you just keep your mouth shut, you'll be happy. <laughs> uh, that only works for a little while.
But if I'll seek to do whatever God says, I will stay free. Paul and Silas in prison were more free than every other prisoner and uh, the, even the, the, um, uh, the warden of the prison, even of the king of Judea and the king of uh, over uh, Syria. He was freer than all other uh, normal human men because he was living by God's word. Uh, so what do you do? Well, speak them to yourself a lot. You and yourself ought to have a lot of conversations like David did in the Bible. David would say, so why art thou cast down? He's talking to himself. Trust thou in God. He's talking to himself and he's quoting over and over scriptures that he already wrote before. And he's reminding himself of truths and of scripture. They help because they punch back whatever the devil, whenever he takes ground in your life and he starts making, making, uh, uh, dominance over your thinking and stuff. Quote yourself some scripture. Remind, I don't care. Uh, the best thing your pastor ever does is when he comes to you and says, quote a scripture. What am I trying to do? I'm trying to get you so that you're constantly able to bring to memory a verse. Because when you do that, it punches the devil. You don't realize how much footholds he has, strongholds he has, that come crashing down when we pull him down by scripture. Speak to him. Hey, Ledbetter, I talk to myself that way. I'll say, God's word says that he's opened a way of escape from this temptation. I better take it. Lord, show me that, that way because I need it right now. I talk to myself. You need to talk to yourself with scripture. Then you can turn around and you can speak to your enemy, the devil. Remind him of the words of Revelation 20 and remind him where he's going. Remind him that he's a loser in the end. And one of these days you will laugh and you will dance and you will shout when he's in hell, not in hell where he's running around free, but in hellfire, burning in fire and brimstone forever and ever. And you won't shed one tear over it. Remind him that from John 8, he's the father of lies. Remind him from 1 Corinthians 6 that you belong to God now. Remind him from Romans 8 that nothing he does can separate you from the love of God and from your eternal relationship with God. Do you even know these scriptures? You see, the devil knows them. He doesn't want to be reminded of them. <laughs> when you start remembering them and start reminding him, he has to back away. He cannot be in the same place where the word of God is preached because he's a lie. And the truth is like light. He's a roach. Turn the light on, he has to flee. These are not only punching words, but they're profitable words. Go to Deuteronomy 18. Oh, sorry, Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 18. Deuteronomy 11, 18. Three verses, verses 18, 19, and skip down to verse 21. Deuteronomy 11, 18, therefore shall you lay up these words in your heart. Lay them up means it's like getting a book and you lay it on the shelf or on a table, whatever. And, and then you get another book and you lay it up, meaning that every scripture you're piling up in your heart. You read it, you learn it, you love it, and you store it away and you have it there. It says, these, therefore shall you lay up these words in your heart and in your soul and bind them. Wrap them for a sign upon your hand to remind you, oh, I need to remember a verse. That they may be as frontlets, as visual between your eyes, always in your sight. 
and you shall teach them to your children, speaking of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, when thou rise up. Quote the scriptures. Meditate on them together with your family. Go down to verse 21, because there's a reason why. Verse 21, that your days may be multiplied. You see, somebody who lives dirty all their life, never takes a bath, never cleans up, never washes, brushes their teeth, never cleans their ears, never blows their nose. Can you imagine a life like that? They're not going to live very long. Now, there's nothing wrong with getting dirty. It's staying dirty. And there are a lot of Christians who are dead today because they just, they never got clean after they got saved. They still live the same way. They still kept drinking. They still hung with the same crowd. They're just as saved as you and me, but they're in sin and you're not going to live very long. God won't let you. You're his child and he will preach at you. He will pull you. He will chasten you. And then the Bible says, if you don't respond, he'll bring you home. You're not going to live very long if you're living in sin. So wouldn't you like to live long? Then live clean. Look at what he says, verse 21, that your days may be multiplied and the days of your children as well. In the land which, which the Lord sware to your fathers to give them as, as, as the days of heaven upon the earth. You're going to live long, live clean. That's why Jesus emphasized holiness, not tolerance, holiness. These words benefit you. They actually do you good. So speak, speak them to God in prayer. You know what God likes? He likes to be reminded what he wrote. Right? Now, if I wrote something and somebody says, I like what you wrote, let me quote it to you. Well, I already know what I wrote. But if somebody says, oh, I love this. This is the best part, Craig, that you wrote. There's no greater praise you can give to somebody is to quote what they wrote to them. Now, nobody, I mean, that's very embarrassing. But you know, when you quote what God wrote, you're saying, God, I agree. That's good. God, that's true. And I'm trusting that. That that blesses you because it blesses God. You know what King David did throughout the book of Psalms? You read about his life there in 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel. You know what David did? He constantly reminds God of what he said in, in Deuteronomy and in Exodus and in Numbers. He, he sat there and he says, God, you're the God that created Genesis chapter 1. God, you're the God that saves Exodus chapter 12. God, you're the God that delivers Exodus chapter 14. God, you're, and he reminded God of what he wrote. And it benefited David. Speak them to God in prayer. While you're praying, verse comes to mind, say, oh God, I thank you for this scripture you gave me this week. And I've been memorizing it. Thank you that. And then quote the scripture. And speak, that, speak the words of God as we just read there to your family, especially your children. When you speak what God says, it elevates. You have to correct your children and say, who made you in charge of this home? And you look at him and says, God did. As much as God gave you to your mom and I, the Bible says God gave your parents to you. And you're a gift from God, and I'm a gift to you. And the Bible says you're to obey your parents. You're to honor your parents. And I love you. And sometimes just like God has to chasten me, I have to chasten you. All of a sudden, they're not the bad person. The child realizes you're quoting scripture and it blesses the child to realize you're just doing what God said do. And it takes, the, it takes the sting out of the event. Quote scripture to your children. Abraham did. He blessed his son, uh, Isaac, 
Uh, Isaac blessed his sons with Scripture. Jacob blessed his sons and his daughter with Scripture. They quoted what God promised. Um, and then we need to speak to our culture. I've just noticed. I mean, we're on YouTube. But who's going to find this unless you share it? Honestly, we're supposed to have church, supposed to invite people to church. But more importantly, we're supposed to go out with tracks and go to the doors and go to people up front and speak the word of God to our culture. If we want Ireland to last, if you want Ireland to be a communist camp, then just sit at home as a Christian and do nothing. But we need to speak to our culture. We failed when they, when they voted in uh, same-sex marriage, and we failed when they voted in abortion. We need to stop failing. Speak them to our culture. Testify. What does God say? A baby in the womb is, is fearfully and wonderfully made, is alive, and is eternal, is an eternal soul, not to be murdered. Because these words, have, you say, well, well, it doesn't help anybody. No, it actually does. It actually, when you speak what God says, that verse in Psalm 135, I am fearfully and wonderfully made, has saved so many babies because moms think it's just a chunk of flesh. They think they've been taught that that unborn baby called a fetus by people is just a wart that needs to be removed. Teach them. No, it's made by God. It's a gift from God. He's alive. He or she it's supposed to be alive. It's supposed to do great things. So if you want this book to clean you up, allow constant surgery. Go back to Hebrews. I'll wrap this up. Just some thoughts. This is where the rubber will meet the road. This is, you say, you may believe this. Okay, here's, here's where it actually will take, take hold in your life. Allow constant surgery. I, I've, I've been trying, and I'll be trying all this year to get you to read your Bible. Every day, don't you, don't you ever tell me you're not reading your Bible, okay? <laughs> you need to be reading your Bible, but don't just read your Bible. Allow it to cut you. Allow it to dig deep in and to hurt you. Let like surgery. You got something on the inside, you need to let the Word of God get down deep and open your heart. Look at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the Word of God is quick and powerful. Sharper than any two-edged sword. We call it, we'd be like a scalpel, a surgeon's knife. Piercing, cutting, even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. Like on an operating table, you start pulling things away and pulling things to the side. And, and the joints and the marrow, like when you're cutting open a body, and as a discerner, get down to the thoughts and the intents of the heart. The Bible knows you and will expose you for what you really are so that God can make you like Jesus. So let it, let it work in you. Secondly, feel the burn. You know, when, when this book starts to work, it'll convict you. It, when, when God starts to cut and starts pointing out your sin, you'll go, ouch. Again, Jesus said in John 15, 3, now are ye clean through the word. So as Jesus spoke, do you think everybody liked what he said? Not at all, man. There were some times where he was nice and sweet and kind and gentle. There are other times where he was rough and angry, and he did get angry. And he was fierce in the face of people. What was he doing? Cleaning. He was cleaning, scrubbing. Every writer of the pages of this book of books scrubs away and, and cuts away at, at a hard heart, at our 
thick skin that needs to be broken open and get down to where we really need, need the word of God. Feel the burn and then let it, and then yield to it. Let it work. Let it change you. I, I, I want to encourage you to do one thing. Believe that it will change you. Believe it will change you. When you're reading it, just say, Lord, change me. As I read this, I don't want to be like David. I want to be like David, but I don't want to be like the bad David. <laughs> and as I read and I find it, Lord, make me like Paul. but not all like Paul. Let me be like Jesus. Read it and let the Bible yield to it. Say, I want to be like Baal's. I want to be like uh, Bieber. I want to be like, uh, you're an idiot. Let the Bible, as it starts to work, and as it calls you to live a different life, say, I'll live that. There are plenty of people who read this Bible and never hear one word say, follow me. It's not because the word isn't spoken. It's because they don't want to hear it. When you read in the Bible and it says there are, there's a whole world out there that needs a gospel and they are dying and going to hell right now. And you read in there, the Bible says, go. And you go, oh, la, 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 la. I'm not listening. Why not? If God speaks, why don't you listen? Yield to it. Get saturated with it. Look at Psalm 119, verse 11. I'll just quote it for you for time. Psalm 119, 11, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might sin against thee. The word of God, when pressure starts building around you, what should come out of your life is the word of God. Not bitterness, not anger, wrath. When pressure, now this, this is what we ought to want. And that is when the pressure puts a squeeze on us, out comes scripture. Out comes the joy of the Lord. Out comes the promises of God. Out comes patience. That's what we want. It's only going to come out if we put it in. So the more in the word, the more will come out when the pressure comes. Becomes sad. That means read your Bible start to finish over and over and over and over again. Memorize scripture verse after scripture verse. Think about, ponder, say, quote. Man, you're just a walking, talking Bible. Wouldn't that be a, an honor? Somebody said that. Walk in it. Don't run. <laughs> Psalm 119, 1. Psalm 119, 1. I remember when I first got to Bible college, a couple of the guys, um, uh, we were all challenged to read it. I had already read my Bible through twice. And so I was reading it through the third time my first year in Bible college. And there's a guy who sat down and he read his Bible in one month, start to finish. Fine. There's no problem with that. Okay. But I tell you this, you know what he said afterwards? I didn't get a thing from it. <laughs> I went, yeah, because you raced. All right, don't race, walk. Look at your Bible, Psalm 119.1. Blessed are the undefiled in the way, in the way of life, who walk in the law of the Lord. Don't run. Nothing wrong. Uh, if you read it, just, just make sure you're taking some time. You stop and you smell the roses. Or you stop and take a good look at what you're reading. Walk in the word. Enjoy it. Let it work. Let it speak to you. Make time to listen to him. And then lastly, yield to its authority over your life. Go back to verse 9 and we're done. Actually, I'll have two. Yield to its authority. Obey it as if it's God speaking because guess what? Yes. Uh, Psalm 119 and verse 9. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? 
by taking heed, by obeying thereto according to thy word. Um, 133, still in Psalm 119, go to 133. Last verse, I think. No, I have one more. Psalm 119, 133. This is his prayer request. Lord, order my steps. Tell me what steps to take in thy word. Order my steps as I read in your word. I want to see what to do tomorrow. I want to see what to do today. I want to see what to do in two years. Order my steps in thy word. Let not any iniquity have dominion over me. I will trust what you tell me to do. I will yield to it because I know you're right. The Holy Spirit uses the scriptures to daily scrub the heart and the mind of the believer. If you're filled with filth, things go through your head all the time of movies you've watched, things people said, then your mind needs to be washed. Your mouth needs to be cleaned. Your heart needs to be scrubbed. And the Holy Spirit, you're not going to, the Holy Spirit can't work on you without the word. So put it in there and let the Holy Spirit use it to clean you. But you, it, it can't work on you. If it's not in there, if you don't know what it says. So Job chapter 23. Now go back one page, one book behind Psalms. I just want this scripture. Job chapter 23, 12. Everything starts with a choice. 23, 12. Job 23, 12 says this. Neither have I gone back from that, from the commandment of his lips. I'm not going to go back from God's prescription. I have esteemed, I've valued, I've treasured, I've prioritized the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. A decision today to make the right choice from now on. You need to make the decision. I'm going to put the Bible first. I'm going to read it in the morning. I'm going to make sure I read one, two, three, four chapters a day. I'm going to make sure I read my Bible through every year. I'm making a decision now that I will make the right choice every day from hereafter. Because this book, over time, when read, learned, and lived by, will do impossible things like it'll save a soul. If you're not saved, this book will lead you to Christ. I'll do my best, but I'm going to point you in the Bible to trust Christ. Jesus said, if I just be lifted up like it was on the cross, and if I point you to him, he'll draw you to himself. He'll save you. He'll, he'll give you back sanity, make your life stable and secure and mature. It'll save your home. It'll save our nation. And it'll keep you clean. Doesn't anybody want that? I do. And let's read it and let's obey it. Father, bless the thoughts of this hour. God, this book needs to be our, our daily cleansing. Not just our resource. It's not Wikipedia. It's not a history book. It is whew, a cleansing book, a, a, a washing book. It's a powerful book against all the hurts and all the fears that build up in our lives. God, I pray we just love it more than ever. And if somebody's not saved this morning, and they need to answer, are they or they aren't? If they're not, then today's the day. You'll read in the Bible that God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son for you. And if you would believe on him, trust him, allow him to have died for you, 
You won't perish, but you'll have everlasting life from that moment on. Would you do that? You're, you're getting into a thing called Christianity. You're not just putting something in your back pocket. You're putting something into your life that changes your life. Would you ask Christ to save you today? And dear Christian, would you ask God to help you to live this book, walk in it from this day forward in Jesus' name, amen.